God is frustrated because this people who is supposed to represent who he is and what he does is misrepresenting him. They're off mission and they're off course. Hey, this is Taylor and welcome back to Elevate Retake. We want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, ourselves, and God. And we believe that this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. This week, Pastor Michael Gibson is back and will begin to take us through the book of Hosea. The title of our message today is Of God's and Raisin Cakes. A key text we will be taking a look at is found in Hosea 2 verse 1 in the New Living Translation, which reads, In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Ruhama, the ones I love. A key theme we will take a look at is when we see what love does, we can know who love is. Welcome home, where there's always room for one more. As we open the scriptures this morning, I invite you to bow your heads as we invite the author to sit down beside us. God of the universe, God of creation, God of love, thank you for being in this space. As we open up your love letter through the book of Hosea today, you wrote it a couple thousand years ago. And we're looking at it this morning to understand a little bit more of who you are. So we look at what you do. May we understand who you are, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Bari, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Now, you've got all the information for the context, and we can move on, right? Maybe some of those names might be a little bit unfamiliar for you, so let's pause right here and understand this story. We're introduced to a guy by the name of Hosea. We're going to pause on him a little moment because this, this verse isn't about him. It's more about who he's prophesying to. He lived during the years when Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Jeroboam was king of Israel. There was a time in Israel's history when the kingdom was divided. There was the kingdom of Israel and there was the kingdom of Judah. And in large part, the kingdom of Israel was the more wicked and evil of the two. They had a line and a series of kings that did evil in their own sight over and over and over again. Kingdom of Judah was a little bit of mixed bag. We can see Jotham and Ahaz, Uzziah, Hezekiah. Uzziah and Ahaz, they were the bad kings in this story. Jotham and Hezekiah, they were a little bit better particularly Hezekiah. But we're in the midst of this context of Judah and Israel where things are going south. These kings are not leading the people of God well. In fact, they're leading them into apostasy, into idolatry, and leading them away from the worship of the one true God. And it's in within this context that Hosea receives a message from the Lord. And here's the message in verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Buckle up, this story gets intense. 
Imagine the first thing when God first began speaking to you, he asked you to do something like he asked Hosea. Hosea doesn't say much in this verse. And if we look at who he marries, that word prostitute, this is taken from the New Living Translation, it modernizes a little bit, helps us to encapsulate what's going on. But in its true form, the words that make up the word prostitute here in English, coming from the Hebrew, originally could be better translated as a wife of promiscuity. Maybe not necessarily she's making a a profession out of it, but she's unfaithful to her husband. How does Hosea respond in this moment? Put yourself in his shoes as God is asking him to do something incredibly hard. Has God ever asked you to do something hard? Has he asked you to, you know, not just talking to a stranger, but, you know, something that completely goes against how you were raised. Something that was completely counter to the common sense. God, you want me to do what? God says, I need you to do this because I want Israel to know how they've acted like the woman that you're going to marry. These were difficult times. They were horrible times. And God needed Hosea to be a living illustration of how Israel messed up. Now we have to be, t- be careful how far we take this because we don't want to place ourselves into mod- a martyrdom and say, oh, the difficulties that I face is so that other people could know how badly that they're acting. That's not necessarily the case. But in this story, it is true. The story of Hosea continues on in verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant, pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Without question, Hosea steps up to the task that God has asked him to do. How many of us would act like Hosea in the face of something incredibly hard, say, okay, God, let's do it. He follows God because God is faithful and God is up to something in his life. That first son, We learn his name in verse 4 of Hosea chapter 1. We'll go to the next verse. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. God's got some harsh words for Israel. He says, I'm going to bring punishment to you. Because of the way that you've acted, things are going to go south. This mighty nation that you are, I'm bringing a complete end to that. Jezreel, by by the way, means God will sow. God is the one in this point that's bringing destruction. He's the arbiter of punishment for Israel, for the evil deeds of their king. The story continues on. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. What a picture of God. From this passage, from what God is saying, we could derive a lot of things of who God is, right? He's unloving, vindictive. He's punishing a group of people. Isn't God a God of love? The story's not over. There's a third child that's born to Gomer in verse 7. 
but I will show love to the people of Judah. This is continuing on with the second child. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but my power as the Lord their God. The story continues in verse 8. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Some of the strongest words in Scripture of God bringing judgment and punishment to his people. How can we understand who God is from this passage? Why is God bringing such harsh judgment against Israel? Judah and Israel, Israel especially, had fallen into idol worship. The people who were supposed to worship the one true God had fallen away and were worshiping a pantheon of diverse deities. God is frustrated because this people who is supposed to represent who he is and what he does is misrepresenting him. They're off mission and they're off course. And here's the unfortunate thing. I don't think God's rebuke of ancient Israel would be far off from the Christian church of modernity or maybe post-modernity. Sure, we've traded animal sacrifice in an open-air temple for worship graphics and air conditioning. Anybody cold this morning? But unfortunately, many have fallen and died at the hands of loving Christians who claim to know the loving God, yet misrepresent him poorly, or represent him poorly. The well-meaners, the good-intentioned, seek to guard the sacredness of worship and expression, but have fallen in love with the worship and expression itself instead of the object that that very worship and expression points to, which is God himself. Maybe Christianity, that descriptive word of the collected of those walking in the way of Jesus, has been transformed into churchianity with its own culture and its own rights. And if we share churchianity, which is devoid of Christ, particularly in this holiday season, we might simply be sharing the wrapping paper instead of the gift himself, which is Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all this, this extreme judgment that God brings upon his people, all hope is not lost. God is faithful, right? It's tough to say God's faithful when we see things said in scripture like this. But here's how the story continues. It's not finished. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. Verse 11. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant or God will again sow his people in his land. God is sending a wake-up call to the kingdom of Israel in particular and the kingdom of Judah as well. He's saying, you're misrepresenting who I am and I need to call you out of that so I can bring you back in so people can know who I am. And I'll show you who I am, but what I, by what I do, pay close attention. 
And chapter 2, verse 1, begins with these words. In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Ruhamah, the ones I love. There's a work to be done in the in-between. God says, I've got to do some stuff here. And it's unfortunate for Hosea because his life is the outworking of God loving his people. Or maybe I should say it's fortunate because Hosea gets to live the love that God is. Chapter 2 continues on, and normally I'll share a few verses and provide some commentary, but chapter 2 is just incredible to read by itself. We're going to go through 21 verses, and normally I'm breaking from what I normally do because this is long. But I want you to hear the anguish that both Hosea and God have for their unfaithful bride. And the longing that they desire to bring her back to themselves. So if you want to follow along with your Bible on screen, or close your eyes and listen, here's Hosea chapter 2 in full. But now bring charges against Israel, your mother. For she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst. As in a dry and barren wilderness, I will not love her children, for they were conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers. I'll sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing and wool, linen, and for olive oil and drinks. For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband for I'm better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. But now I will take back the ripened grain and new wine. I generously provided each harvest season. I'll take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put on an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, and her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit." I'll punish her for all those times she's burned incense to her images of Baal. When she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers and forgot all about me, says the Lord. But then I'll win her back once again. I'll lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley in trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there and she, as she did long ago when she was young when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When the day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never mention them again. 
On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground, so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land so that you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds, and the sky will answer the earth with rain. Then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevines and the oil tree, olive trees, and they in turn will answer Jezreel, God plants, God sows. At that time I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not love. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. See, here's the thing. We have to know who God is by what he does, because his love is unimaginable. Look at what he did for Israel. He says, yep, all these judgments are coming. You chose to act this wicked way, but my compassion will never cease for you. My love will never cease for you. Though you were afar off for once, I will draw you back close to me, and you will know me as a husband and wife, know each other in a faithful, covenantal love. God is drawing his people. And by the way, Paul points out in Ephesians, or Romans chapter 8, Verses 38 and 39. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, though they may be many in the transition between 2020 and 2021. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sometimes we have to look at what love does in in order to understand who love is. And I don't know about you, but maybe there's somebody here in this room that has had a bad picture of who God is painted for them by someone who doesn't really understand who God is is. Maybe for you, you've struggled because this God of love that preachers preach about and that's talked about in the Bible, you feel more like the first half of Hosea chapter 2 than the second half. Here's the thing. When we as a community gather together and love each other, we're following in the example of Jesus. And in this new year, as we look at what love does and what love did, that will help us to understand who love is and then in turn relate that love to the people around us. I want to illustrate it this way as we close. There's a a book by the name of Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. She's navigating the intersection of faith and sexuality and details her long struggle with same-sex attraction. And here's what she writes as she's in the middle of it walking into a church. Her words. We walked into the church not knowing what to expect. I was rather small, more like, it was rather small, more like the size of a large room rather than your typical American sanctuary, which could be a good or bad thing. The Christians I'd met before had a way of looking at me as if I was some kind of ghost. 
I'd never seen myself as an exotic, untouchable creature, but you'd think that was the case every time I walked into the company of Christians. They were either oblivious to my existence or chose to look past me as if to avoid eye contact and subsequently the obligation to acknowledge me. Or they were of the sort who saw me and stared at me, stared into me, never speaking, only observing as a child does a bug. My hope was that these people would be different, different like Jesus. I had forgotten that women wore clothes that were always five seconds away from being too small for their size. But I didn't want to deal with the stares and the shame I would carry if I came dressed as myself. So I conceded to being someone else in wardrobe until service ended, at least. Good morning, a woman with a Sunday morning smile said to me. As I was on my way to my seat, what's your name? She asked, her tone bright and believable. Jackie, I said keeping it short because I was too guarded to say anything more than what was asked of me. I was anxious about this interaction. I didn't know what it would become if it continued. Then she said said something I didn't expect. She looked me in the eyes, unhindered by their cynicism, and nodded her head a bit. And as as she repeated my name, Jackie, she said it again to me, but mainly to herself. It was clear to me that she wanted to remember me to not let it pass with the wind, but to keep it close at hand. I had never met a stranger who wanted to know my name as if it mattered. My sexuality had been my name for so long that to have someone not treat me according to my, my assumed sins, but according to the identity that my mama gave me, felt good. With her, I didn't feel like a project to be fixed, but a person to be loved. The two hours that followed were filled with hallelujahs, tithe-taking, and turn your Bibles to so-and-so. All of which helped me to see another side to this body of people that I never felt safe around. But surprisingly, it wasn't the programs or the preaching that began to lift my distrust of the church. It was the woman who I knew would remember my name if I ever decided to come back. Church family, this morning, I invite you to look at what love does so that we can paint a picture of who love is. Love climbs mountains, love opens doors, love remembers names, it puts others at ease. Love embraces, love smiles, love gets dirty, love accepts, and love cherishes. Love welcomes, love includes, and love makes a way love does. When we see what love does, we can know who love is. Hosea's life isn't done. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love their raisin cakes. Continues on in verse 2. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterwards, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. 
In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. May we, the people of God today, tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. Maybe God's love is offensive. Maybe it's audacious. Maybe it's reckless. But that love was given for you and for me. When we see what love does, the length that love would go to, we can understand who love is. And in this new year, may we as a community grow in our love for one another and for Jesus. May we follow in the example of Jesus. May we walk in the way of love so that we know who is love. When we see what love does, we can know who love is. When our community, our family that gathers here regularly, when we see what love does, we know who love is. We all together will look up into the face of God with awe and wonder. Let's take a look at what love does. As we began our dive into the book of Hosea this week, what stood out to me in this sermon was verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. And it reads, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. How amazing is it that no matter what path we we might choose in life, God will always bring us back to him and he is always going to be there for us. You can hear us discuss this verse and more on the next episode of Elevate Retake, where Pastor Michael and I sit down with Isaac Chang to dive deep into the book of Hosea and the many rich depictions of God's love that this book contains. Catch you next time.